Luke chapter 24, verse 50. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed, continuing at the temple, praising God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, you're the one who reigns over this universe. And Jesus is at your right hand, Lord. Father, help us to tap into this joy and worship that we see here at the end of Luke, where they are rejoicing because their Lord has ascended. In your name we pray. Amen. My name is Joel. If you haven't met, it's indeed a delight to be with you this morning. Uh, two weeks ago, I was visiting Bathurst um, with a team of about 15 of us from Bible College. We went to do mission there for a week. And on a Friday night, we held an evangelistic event at the pub. It was called Grilla Christian. It was aimed at the Bathurst community to bring their most challenging questions about God. And I had the unfortunate pleasure of being on the panel with three other students. But someone asked this question. What does a man who lived 2,000 years ago have anything to do with how I live my life now? Surely the world has moved on. I tried to palm off that question by giving the panelists, you know, you got this, kind of look. But I was thinking, how, how do you answer that question? And reflecting on that pub night um, and what happened then, I really do think that the ascension gives us a compelling answer because it speaks of Jesus in reality, not just history. I think the world is so used to thinking about Jesus only as history, what he's done in the past, that is well and right. Us as Christians, we are called to remember Jesus' death and resurrection. How awesome was last Sunday, last Easter weekend, to do that for us? But I don't think we think about Jesus in reality today. If he's risen, where is he? And what is he doing right now? If you look at, um, at the end of Luke's gospel, this beautiful ending scene gives us a glimpse of this. I love it because it kind of plays out like a climactic, happy ending to a movie where the main character kind of ascends up to the sky or he rides into the sunset. Um, think E.T. You know, when E.T. is ascending up to that sky, his friends are watching him and Elliot is smiling, is bidding farewell. Uh, think The Truman Show. You know, at the end, the Truman kind of ascends up this set of stairs in this fake world that he was made to live in and he's about to break into the real world. Or maybe think Forrest Gump. You know, the movie ends with Forrest and his son sitting on the bench as his son is about to board the school bus and he's about to ride off into the sunset. At the end of Luke, we see a similar feel-good, happy ending of Jesus ascending into heaven. But I find it surprising that the people respond with joy. They didn't respond with despair. Jesus is about to leave them. What's up with that? They respond like this because they know where Jesus is going. He is ascending to the Father's right hand to reign as the king of the world. This is reality. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. 
And because of this truth, this is why Jesus will always be relevant to our life, no matter what century you live in. He'll always be the one that's running the universe. So as we study the ascension this morning, I hope we don't stop at just knowing that Jesus is relevant for life. Okay, I guess I'll follow him. I'll tick that box. My prayer this morning is that we'd go further, that we'd find absolute joy in Jesus, that we'd give our whole lives of worship to him because he's the one on the throne. He's our ascended king. I've got three observations for us that can help us tap into this Luke 24 type joy. The first one is Jesus, our man, is on the throne. Number one, our man is on the throne. I think something that's easy to forget about this, uh, about the ascension, is that Jesus is still a human. Of course, we know that Jesus is God, he's divine, he's nothing like us. But at the same time, he is exactly like us. Think about this. There is a human at the center of the universe, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And I think this has enormous implications for us, for our joy. Because he's human, he understands us. He understands us in all our weaknesses, trials, and sufferings. Up on the screen will pop up a picture of two big boys. You might know them. They're brothers, Michael and Alan. They've made it to the top of international rugby. Um, Michael on the left, he's playing for Samoa with his um, Samoan jersey on. And Alan right there, he plays for the Wallabies. But I grew up with them. We, we, we did piano lessons together. <laughs> we did recitals together. We sang together. I feel a strong connection with them. Every time I see on the TV, I would tell my family, it's like, hey, did you know we did piano lessons together? You know? <laughs> I feel a strong sense of connection seeing them ascend or go up to the top of the rugby world. You know, we were Samoan kids growing up in Western Sydney, going through the same struggles in life. You know, we'd ask each other um, piano lessons. You know, bro, did you practice your scales? Like, no. Oh, me too. Yeah, my man. See, I think we can find so much joy that our man Jesus is up there. He's been through life the same that we have. He understands us. You know, he had a, he had a childhood. He learnt, he um, had to learn and grow up in knowledge. He had to submit to his parents. Um, he went through the same teenage phase as us. Uh, when he became an adult, he took on a job, carpentry. But he also experienced the same trials as us. Jesus felt lonely. Jesus felt anxious to the point where he was sweating blood. Jesus felt the pain of a betrayal of his best friend, one of his best friends. Jesus was human in every way. And when we look up to the throne, there's a man. There's our man who understands us because he's one of us. He also still identifies with us. I don't know if you've ever been to a dress-up party where you'd pick a character and you pretend to be them for a day. I attended a onesie birthday party once and I dressed up as Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. Look, it was fun seeing everybody with their onesies and socializing and dancing, party, whatever like that. But I tell you, I couldn't wait until I got home to take that thing off. I was sweating underneath there to be in my real skin. 
You see, Jesus wasn't only human for 33 years, and when he got back home to the Father, he took off his humanity, as if he feels more himself without it. No. Jesus became a human and is still a human today. He's not taken off his humanity. Jesus, the, the God-man, is still the God-man today. So when we, when we pray to Jesus, we know that he understands us and he still identifies with us. So we know he's a man on the throne, but what is he doing up there? And why did he have to ascend? Wouldn't it be better if he stayed here with us? Well, he needed to ascend to where God is so he can be our priest, our high priest. That's number two. Our priest is on the throne. And this is very important because if you want to get to God, you need a priest. Because of our sin, if you're a sinner and you want to connect with God, you need someone to represent you. And that's a priest. If you tried to go by yourself to God, you'd be condemned already because we're all sinners. But that priest represents us and brings forward that intercession to ask for forgiveness for us. So a priest is necessary. He, he kind of represents the people, us, before God. But he also represents God to us. In the Old Testament, priests worked in the temple. The temple is where God lived. Um, they were also responsible for making blood sacrifices because shedding blood was the only way to deal with sin. And once a year, they could only meet with God. They would go through this veil into the Holy of Holies, taking that blood that was made to ask for forgiveness for the people. You can see how complex that relationship is. It's very burdensome, it's very bloody. And they could only meet with God once a year. And also the thing was that the, the, those sacrifices didn't really bring true forgiveness. And also the tabernacle that was made with human hands, that wasn't really where God dwelt. It was only a representation. But because of the cross, because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, that sacrifice could bring real forgiveness. And so to complete his work as a priest, it was only necessary for Jesus to go to the real holy of holies, where God is, to take that blood he shed to meet with God and ask for our forgiveness. He's our priest interceding for us. There are many ways he's interceding for us, but I want to highlight two for him, two for us. Firstly, do you know as, as high priest that Jesus is praying for you? Even when nobody else is praying or thinking about you, Jesus is. When, when you feel alone, when you feel like everybody has abandoned you, Jesus never will. Jesus has you engraved in his heart. He's praying for you. How about this promise from Hebrews 13? It reads, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? What an amazing comfort that is. You know, every time we sin, 
Two things happen. Satan is before the throne of God trying to accuse you, trying to get you condemned. But also Jesus is before the throne, before God saying, now they're with me. They come under my blood. They're forgiven. They're righteous. They're right with God. I've been singing the hymn before the throne this week. That's my song of the week as I think about the ascension. I think it perfectly captures what Jesus is doing as our high priest. I want to read a verse for us. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Yes, God is satisfied to look on Jesus and pardon you. So he's praying for us. Secondly, do you know that Jesus is also blessing you? I don't know if you've ever stared at something so bright for long enough that when you kind of close your eyes, you, you see that image kind of burnt in your vision. Well, I think this is what's happening to the disciples here in Luke. This is the last thing that they see Jesus do. His arms are held wide, blessing him. Verse 51, while he was blessing them, he left them and ascended to the cloud, through the cloud. And today he has not stopped blessing you. His blood sacrifice might be once and for all, but his intercession for you his praying and blessing you is continual. Ephesians 1, here's some of the spiritual blessings we have. We're chosen by God. We're blameless before God. We're redeemed by his blood. We're forgiven. And lastly, the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us, to seal us, to guarantee our place in heaven. You see, if Jesus didn't ascend, we, we wouldn't have the Spirit. We wouldn't have the Holy Spirit. And because of the Spirit, the Bible says that Christ is in us. Even though he's not with us in body and we long for him to come in body, but because of his Holy Spirit, God dwells in us. But also even more mind-boggling, because of the Spirit, the Bible also says that we are with him at his right hand. Quickly read for us Colossians 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died and your life is now hidden in Christ. You see, that's how intimate our relationship with God can be now because of the Spirit. I don't, care what you, I don't care what you say. I, I don't think there's any blessing that can top that. So that's what he's doing as our priest, praying and blessing us. And he's representing us before God, the king. But you see, that once a year moment, when the high priest goes past the veil to meet with God, the only other thing that the rest of us, the rest of the people can do, is wait. Wait for him to come back out again. It's an expectant wait. Um, you're waiting to see if God actually approves of what he did. 
and who did a good job interceding for us. But it's also an anxious wait. There's a chance that the pleas might not have worked. Maybe the priest didn't fully cleanse himself or ask for forgiveness for his sins. Or maybe the blood sacrifice wasn't, wasn't made properly and something goes wrong. You never really know if it's good or bad until the priest comes out. Because of Jesus, we do not have to wait anxiously as they did. Two reasons. Number one, Jesus did what no other high priest could do when he died. That veil was torn in two. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, there's no more barrier between God and man. Jesus' sacrifice was enough to satisfy God's wrath for the sins of the world. Now we can enter God's presence freely and joyfully. And isn't that what the, the people are doing here? They says they go to the temple continually praising God. No more veil between God and man. No more uncertainty. Only joy and worship. Reason number two. Our high priest is also our king. Point number three. Our king is on the throne. Our king is on the throne and he is ruling the world for you. That's a beautiful truth, isn't it? The, the prayers of the priest is also the prayers of the king. 1030 Church, so we can have complete confidence that Jesus' intercession for you works. That his prayers for you will be answered by God. You can be fully assured that your sins are forgiven. You can be fully assured that the spiritual blessings that Jesus pours out on us is yours. Our King is ruling this world for you, praying for you, blessing you. It seems like from our passage that this ascension was only seen by a select number of people. Um, is he really king if only a select people know, a few people know? In Bathurst, we partnered with the cathedral there, the Anglican Cathedral, and during the week I, I saw there was a throne there and there's a picture that will come up soon. I thought it would be nice for me to ascend up to the throne there. But you know, when I did that, I achieved nothing. People look at me and like, who are you? What have you done? Theoretically, I could also do the same in Buckingham Palace if I could successfully break in, ascend that throne. It'll be the same. It's like, who are you? What have you done? The only thing that will get me is in prison or locked up. You see, Jesus is king because we know who he is and we know what he's done. He's God's king. God chose him. God knows him. We know what he's done. Looking at the cross. This is the Jesus that ascended to the throne. Also, he didn't ascend just with a few people watching. You know, Satan and his angels, the principalities and powers of this world, watched in defeat as Jesus rose through those clouds, holding the keys of death and hate as he ascends to the throne. 
like a king who has returned home from battle only for his father to give him the throat or sit at his right hand. Jesus, with the ascension, returned home to his father, victorious from battle over sin and death. And his father saying to him, as it says in Psalm 110, we read it before, God says to him, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. One of the significant objections people have about that truth is, if Jesus really is on the throne, sure, does it seem like it? It's evil. It's suffering. Many people reject him. I think if you're asking this question, you're on the right track. We should be asking this. We can't ignore evil. It's all around us. We see it and we experience it. Look, addressing evil is a whole nother sermon, but I do want to say this. Jesus dealt with the root cause of evil on the cross. So when we see or experience evil, let that cause to us to go closer to God, to look to Jesus and pray, come, Lord Jesus, come, so that he can end all the suffering and evil. The author of Hebrews helps us to address this tension. He says in Hebrews 2, I'm talking about Jesus. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them or Jesus. But we do see Jesus. Today, we don't see everything being subject under Jesus right now. But we do see Jesus on the throne. And his ascension means it's only a matter of time until all evil and injustice is dealt with when he returns. When Jesus ascended, God says to his son Jesus, again in Psalm 110, he said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. This includes evil. This includes all injustice. This is also the day when the world will recognize Jesus for who he is, not just these select people. That day when Philippians says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what does a man who lived 2,000 years ago have anything to do with our lives? Well, because of the ascension, because of the ascension. Absolutely everything. Okay, so we know that. We know that Jesus is relevant. But what about the joy and the worship that we talked about before? Does the ascension mean that I can never be sad, I have to be happy all the time? You know, Easter is one of my favorite times that I get to reflect on the cross. But after a church last Sunday, I felt like I haven't really stopped to think about the cross yet. And I thought I'd do something about it. And I drove to just across the road, Lavender Bay, the Wendy Secret Gardens, to, to pray. Because nine years ago, that was a very special spot for me before I even knew about the Bridge Church. I was working across the road. It was that secret place that I had. I would escape work to spend time with God there. It was a difficult time in my life. I, 
I was just a young grad just struggling with the pressures and expectations of work and I prefer not to wake up in the morning and all I had was Jesus. I couldn't wait until my lunch break to go to Lavender Bay and I couldn't wait till 5 p.m. to go there again and read and pray. And when it was too dark to read, I'd just sit at the bench and just look at the beautiful harbour view. And when I sat there, I, used to, I remember I used to daydream all the time about the joy of seeing Jesus come again. I would marvel and say, wow, Jesus is going to rule over Sydney one day. I would look over to Circular Key and it's like, you know, every single person in those buildings will serve Jesus, will know Jesus. And I'm going to be one of his governors. I'm going to be ruling under him. I felt so much joy in that kind of time of my life. And as I sat there again last Sunday, I thought to myself, oh man, those were precious times. Even though I wasn't feeling, I was in despair, oh my goodness, the joy and hope that I had. And by God's grace, I'm in a much better place today. But part of me was jealous of that 2014, Joel. You see, this joy is, is not a superficial one. It's deeper than happiness. You know, happiness can come and go. But this joy that Jesus brings is deeper than happiness. That not even sufferings, trials, or betrayal, disease can take away from you. But this joy can only be found by looking up to Jesus who is on the throne. He's our man. He understands you. He identifies with your suffering. He's our priest. He's praying for you. He's wanting to bless you. And he's our king. He's ruling the world for you and your good. Let's pray. Holy Father, what a marvelous truth this is. And help us to see in our hearts Jesus ascended and find this joy that you've given us, Lord. And Help us to find this joy in our everyday lives that no matter what we're going through, that we know that the ascended Lord Jesus is at your right hand and he's there ruling for us and for our good. In your son's name we pray. Amen.